Well, hey, good morning and welcome to Bridgewater. Uh, my name is Joel. I'm an intern here. And like Pastor Bob said, um, over this past year and a half, he's been teaching me and training me really how to learn to be a pastor. And so today he's given me the opportunity to preach and all by myself this time. So super excited about that. But today we are in week seven of our eight-week series called Starting Point, where we're trying to answer the question, what is the starting point of faith? How do we start a relationship with God? And really throughout this series, what we've been trying to do is point you back to Jesus. Who is Jesus? Because how you answer that question is one of the most important decisions you can make with your life. So today we're going to be talking about faith. It's kind of hard to have a starting point for faith if you don't know what faith is. So really, we're going to be answering two questions today. What is faith, and what should I place my faith in? Because if you're like me, you've heard about faith all the time. It's this concept, this belief, this Star Wars-like force that's powerful and it guides us. We don't really know what it is, just that it's important. You may have faith in the chair that you're sitting in. You may have faith that your favorite team will win the Super Bowl. And depending on your team, we call that blind faith. Or maybe you have faith that God exists. But is faith in God really the same thing as wanting the Giants to make it to the Super Bowl? So while we answer these two questions, we're going to start by looking at something Jesus said about faith. So Jesus' disciples have just failed to cast out a demon, so Jesus casts it out, and here's how Jesus responds. Afterward, the disciples asked Jesus privately, why couldn't we cast out that demon? You don't have enough faith, Jesus told them. I tell you the truth, if you had faith, even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it would move. Nothing would be impossible. And in another similar situation, the disciples asked Jesus again, the apostles said to the Lord, show us how to increase our faith. The Lord answered, if you had faith, even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, may you be uprooted and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Okay, so in two different scenarios, the disciples asked Jesus how to get more faith. And both times, Jesus responds by saying they need faith the size of a mustard seed. So I don't know how much you know about mustard other than the fact that it tastes good on a burger, but a mustard seed is quite small. Some would even say tiny. So at first, I would read these verses and go, man, that's awesome. I just need a little bit of faith and I can do all these incredible things. But then I got older and now my thoughts kind of changed. And then it became, man, how small is my faith if I don't even have mustard seed faith? I mean, obviously, I don't have it because I can't move any mountains and I haven't moved any trees recently. In fact, I remember a time, I was probably about 10 or 11, I read these verses, went outside, sized up a good tree, planted my feet, squared my shoulders, looked that tree, not dead in the eye, but I looked at that tree and with all the faith that I could summon, I told that tree to jump into our family's pond. And you may be surprised, but it didn't move. <laughs> now, that's a silly example, right? But what about the times when life isn't as silly or innocent? When 
the pain won't go away. A loved one's life is on the line. Or you're just in a tough situation, and if ever there is a time where you needed God to show up, it was now. And it seems like you're praying, but I guess you just don't have enough faith. But what if you and I are thinking about faith all wrong? What if the amount of faith is irrelevant to having mustard seed faith? Let me give you an example. Do do any of you have a fear of flying? Great. Just like me, I don't have that fear. Um, I actually quite enjoy flying. I often think of it as I'm going somewhere cool. I'm going to do something fun. I'm going to see people that I love. And so far, I've never had a bad experience while flying. Delays are not fun, but in the air has always been great. I've always had complete confidence in both the pilot and the plane to get me there safely. But that's not true for all of you. Maybe some of you here just thinking about flying makes you nervous. And maybe every time you step on a plane, you're just certain that that plane is going to crash. Let me tell you something about faith. No matter how much faith I have in that plane, where I think it's going to get me there safely, my faith won't stop that plane from crashing. And no matter how small your faith is, you're certain you're going to crash. Your faith won't stop that plane from arriving safely. So it's not about the amount of faith you have. It's you obey God when he asks you to get on the plane. Jesus is saying that if your faith is so small, it is like the smallest seed you can think of. If you trust me with that faith, you obey me with that faith, I'll use you to do amazing things. You got a lot of faith? Great. Obey me. You got a little bit of faith? Great. Trust me. Do what I'm telling you to do. We often think that faith is a lack of doubt, but faith isn't a lack of doubt, but trusting God through doubt. Because here's the thing about seeds. They grow. This is a black mustard plant. This is most likely the plant that Jesus was talking about. And these things grow like crazy. And they can even grow up to 10, and in some cases, 15 feet tall. Jesus is saying, Your faith needs to grow. So with whatever situation you're in, if you trust God in that place, then the faith that you have will grow, just like this mustard plant. Now, while faith can often be this confusing or difficult topic to talk about, I want to point you in the direction of a great resource, gotquestions.com. I often go there when I have questions about God and Christianity, and in their article, What Does the Bible Say About Faith?, they summarize it like this. Faith is believing that God exists and that he is wholly trustworthy, so much so that we base our lives on him and his word doing what it says. So God is wholly trustworthy. Do you trust him? So the faith that we're talking about today, this this starting point of faith, involves this trust and obedience to God. So when was the starting point when you were trusting and obeying God? Today we're going to look at the life of a man named Paul, where he's going to interact with this group of people who had a lot of faith, but in the wrong things. 
So let me give you some quick background information. So Paul, he's going around and he is preaching the gospel and he is planting churches. And through God working in his life, God brings Paul to this place called Athens. And that's where we're going to start our story today. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to the book of Acts chapter 17, um, fifth book of the New Testament right after the Gospels. Acts chapter 17, starting in verse 16. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply troubled by all the idols he saw everywhere in the city. Let me tell you something about Athens real quick. So Athens at this time in history is the intellectual center of the Roman Empire. To oversimplify it, this is where smart people go to talk about smart stuff and new smart stuff. But another thing about the city is it was well known for its architecture and its art. So with all these idols and shrines and temples, it must have looked quite extravagant. In fact, some other um, ancient sources about Athens agree with the Bible's claim here, and they say this city had idol after idol after idol just lined up in the streets and in the marketplace. So this is where Paul is. This is where God has Paul. And what does Paul do? Well, it says here that Paul was deeply troubled. Uh, This translation here and a couple others don't fully capture Paul's emotions in this moment. The Greek word that we translate deeply troubled has this idea behind it, to provoke to anger. So Paul sees all these different idols, and Paul is provoked to anger. He is infuriated by the rampant idolatry that he sees. But what does Paul do? Well, what he always does. He starts preaching the gospel and reasoning with the people. And I guess I want to take a moment to ask, what do you and I do when we're in a situation like Paul? Maybe it's the news, social media. You just see this evil and this sin, and it makes us angry. What do we do? Because what we should do is be like Paul and get our focus back on Jesus and the work that he's called us to do in preaching the gospel. Let's keep reading. So he, Paul, went to the synagogue to reason with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles. And he spoke daily in the public square to all who happened to be there. He also had a debate with some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. When he told them about Jesus and his resurrection, they said, what's this babbler trying to say with these strange ideas he's picked up? Others said, he seems to be preaching about some foreign gods. Okay, let me tell you something about these people that Paul is talking to. So the Epicureans and the Stoics are two completely different views. The Epicureans are the people who think that everything is physical, everything is natural, and yeah, there's probably gods, they most likely exist, but they're out there somewhere, they don't care about us, they're not involved. And the Stoics are the complete opposite. There are so many gods, they are everywhere, and they're involved in everything, and if we're smart enough, and through our intellect, we can connect, and we can please these gods. So Paul walks into this group of people and shares the gospel with them. And what do these people do with Paul? Well, first, they call him a babbler, but let's see what they do next. Then they took him to the high council of the city. Come, tell us about this new teaching, they said. You are saying some rather strange things, and we want to know what it's all about. It should be explained that all the Athenians, as well as the foreigners in Athens, seem to spend all their time discussing the latest ideas. So Paul standing before the council, addressed them as follows. Men of Athens, I noticed that you are very religious in every way. For as I was walking along, I saw your many shrines. 
And one of your altars had this inscription on it, to an unknown God. This God, whom you worship without knowing, is the one I'm telling you about. Okay, so the Athenians, they have idols everywhere. They are very inclusive religiously. And so, in fear, the Athenians made an altar to an unknown God. We may have missed a God. We don't want to upset that God and get that God mad at us. So we'll make this altar to it, and hopefully we can please him. Well, the Athenians had faith. They had faith in their ability to find the right God or gods and in their ability to please them. But watch and see what Paul has to say about that. He is the God who made the world and everything in it. And since he is Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples. And human hands can't serve his needs, for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything, and he satisfies every need. From one man, he created all the nations throughout the whole earth. He decided beforehand when they should rise and fall, and he determined their boundaries. His purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, though he's not far from any one of us. For in him, we live and move and exist. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. And since this is true, we shouldn't think of God as an idol designed by craftsmen from gold or silver or stone. God overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times, but now he commands everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and turn to him. For he has set a day for judging the world with justice by the man he has appointed. And he proved to everyone who this is by raising him from the dead. Paul does not share the gospel like how it expect. And maybe if he was preaching that to us, maybe we wouldn't like it. He starts with, here's your view of God. Your view of God is wrong. Let me tell you what is true of God, and you need to repent because he is going to judge the world. But, but here's where I want to draw our focus back to faith. When they heard Paul speak about the resurrection of the dead, some laughed in contempt. But others said, we want to hear more about this later. That ended Paul's discussion with them. But some joined him and became believers. Among them were Dionysus, a member of the council, a woman named Demaris, and others with them. So we often think of faith as believing in something you can't see, something you can't prove. But really, faith is trust. So Paul is reasoning with these people, saying that what they had their faith in is wrong. They had faith in their gods or lack of gods, and that faith is wrong. Their trust was in the wrong thing. So Paul tells them what is true about God. And he tells them about God. And do you trust him? What about you and I? If we confess our sins to God, he's faithful and just to forgive us. Do you trust him? Do you trust that God will keep his word? Because if faith is choosing to trust God, honestly, God's made it quite easy for us. Because proof demands a response. And when you look at the Gospels, there is no shortage of proof. Uh, real quick, I want to go over a couple different evidences for the Gospel, some within the Bible, some without. But really, 
you, you should look into this on your own. It is fascinating how much evidence God has given us for the resurrection. For example, the gospel accounts themselves are eyewitness testimonies or the person writing the account is interviewing eyewitnesses. And another part of the Bible, uh, the author said that Christ appeared alive to over 500 people at one time. But then he says, most of those people are still alive. You can go talk to them. You can look at the life of the 12 apostles and the drastic change in their life or the life of Paul or Jesus' brother James. All, of, all but one of them were executed for what they believed. Okay, one, two of them might die for a lie? All of them? And even outside of the Bible, from history, it's not even disputed that someone named Jesus existed. That person was killed by crucifixion on a cross. There was a tomb that was empty, and people claimed to have seen him alive after he died. And just, again, quickly, hopefully, two things I want to point you in the direction of to look into more evidence is, first is this book, Cold Case Christianity. The author, J. Warner Wallace, is one of the best cold case detectives in the United States. And so, he, as an atheist, he decided he was going to look into the crucifixion of Jesus and treat it like a cold case murder. Well, through his investigation, he said there is so much evidence, it has to be true. But don't take my word for it. Read his book for yourself, and you'll also learn some cool detective techniques along the way. Another one that's similar, The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. Um, Lee Strobel's wife becomes a Christian. He doesn't like that, so he tries to get her to stop becoming a Christian, tries to prove Christianity wrong by proving the resurrection was false. And in going about this, he was confronted with the evidence, and he needed to respond because proof demands a response. And we see that today in our passage. Some were haters who laughed and mocked Paul. Some were fans. They were interested in what Paul had to say, interested in Jesus, but they weren't committed or believed. And some were followers, those that gave their life to Jesus and became believers. So which one are you? Are you a hater, a fan, or a follower? Because when it comes to the gospel, God has not given us blind faith. We can trust him. So what do you have your faith in? Where do you place your trust? Because if your faith is not in the God of the Bible, your faith is in the wrong thing. Whether it's another religion, from yourself, or maybe you just don't know, no matter how devoted you are to your faith, if your faith is not in Jesus, then you will spend eternity in hell facing God's wrath. And I know that can sound arrogant. This is the only way everyone else is wrong. But those aren't my words. This is best summarized in the Bible with what Jesus said. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Jesus is the only way to have salvation. So, so how do we get this faith? How do we get this faith in God? Well, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. So to put it simply, faith is given from God. So let me ask again, where do you place your faith? 
Is it from yourself? Or has your faith been given to you by God? And let me say this. God doesn't give faith freely. But it has been paid for. And it's been paid for by Jesus. So you don't have to pay anything for it. The thing that makes Jesus different from other religious leaders isn't just something he taught. It's something he did. He died and came back to life. So if you're here today and you have not yet been saved, you have not yet started a relationship with Jesus, let me tell you how you can have saving faith. And I think the easiest way to summarize it is like this. You need to repent. You need to look at your life, look at your sin and say, God, I need your help. I am a sinner. You need to turn from your sin and to forgiveness in Jesus. And next, you need to believe in the work of Jesus. You need to acknowledge the truth of the gospel. And finally, you need to trust in Jesus' saving work and embrace faith in God. And really, each of these three things is just trust. I trust that God will forgive me. I trust that what God said happened is true, and I trust God for the rest of my life in service to him. So if you have not yet been saved from your sins, talk to someone. Don't leave here today without talking to someone. Maybe me, Pastor Bob, the person that brought you. But this decision is too important to kick down the road and to reject. Okay, what if you're here today and you are already saved? You have already started a relationship with God and you are a new creation. Well, here's what I want to ask you. Look at your life. Nothing in your life is an accident. All the circumstances, both the good and the bad, have ultimately been brought into your life by God. Will you trust him with it? Will you see how God will use you in your current situation to bring about his plan and his purpose? No matter the circumstances, trusting God, placing your faith in him, obeying him is always worth it, and your faith will grow. On your way in, hopefully you were given uh, one of these cards. It's a next step card. I want you to write down, hopefully you were given a pen, but I want you to write down your next step. With the current stage of life you are in, with where you are currently at, how do you need to obey God? Maybe you need to get baptized. Maybe you need to start being generous with the resources God has given you. Maybe you need to obey God and you need to start serving. If you're a husband or a father, okay, are you leading your home? Maybe your next step is praying with your wife and your kids, trusting God with your family. Or maybe you need to share the gospel at work or there's a person you need to reach out to. But how do you need to have your faith in God and obey him today? Trust him with what he's calling you to do today. So while you're thinking through your next step and writing it down, I want to I close with a story and then I'll give it back to the band. But you may not know this about me, but I didn't set out to be a pastor and I didn't pursue pastoral ministry. Uh, back when I was in uh, high school, probably a freshman in high school, I felt God calling me to be a missionary overseas. And let me pause real quick and say, God could still call Krista and I to do that but that's not where he has us now. And wherever God calls us, we're willing to go. But I thought for sure God was calling me overseas. And more specifically, I thought he was calling me to the Middle East to be a missionary. Man, I was so excited. All right, God, that sounds scary, but my faith is in you. Okay, I'll trust you. Well, I'm about to go to college 
and I'll spare you the details, but God changes the plan. Okay, I'm not going to go to the Middle East, but I'll still go to college to be a missionary. Wherever it is you want me to go, Lord, I'll follow you there. Well, a few years go by. I got one year left of college, and all of a sudden, this opportunity like lands in my lap. Like, it was one of those things where it was so clear that it was from God. So the next thing you know, I'm preparing to go on an eight-week internship in the country of Iraq. Wow, that sounds crazy. That's, that's a little scary. Okay, God, my faith is in you, and I trust you. But less than a month before I leave, I get an email. The organization that I had the internship through reached out to me and said, hey, we can't get your paperwork processed in time. We can't do the internship. Now I'm thinking, what? Wait, God, this, this incredible opportunity, this thing that could determine the trajectory of the rest of my life, I can't do this because of something as dumb as paperwork? Okay, God, you closed the door to the Middle East two years ago. I wasn't asking to go to Iraq. This, this whole thing was your idea. You opened the door again. I was about to walk through it, and you closed it. Again. Why? Do you even want me to be a missionary? But just like before, when I wanted to go to the Middle East, where's my faith? Where's my trust? Okay, Lord, even though I don't know what the plan is, I'll trust you. I'll obey you. My faith is in you. And so obedience looked like staying here in PA, working at the glorious Montrose Pump and Pantry. Um, but I saved up money. And I was able to get married to my now wife, Krista. I changed my major in college in my last year and still graduated in time. And Bridgewater offered me an internship. So ultimately, God was working in my life to bring me to where I am today. Really, because I trusted God when he had me not go to Iraq, well, that's the reason I'm preaching here today. And here's the crazy thing. God is still working in my life. He's preparing me now for whatever work he's calling me to do in the future, and I don't even know it yet. So what is that for you? Look back at your life. How has God been bringing you along, carrying you, the times you've trusted him or maybe didn't trust him? How is he preparing you for where you're at now? And how is he working in your life for the work he's going to call you to do in the future? I guess to, to bring it back around, I already talked about that. What is faith? Well, practically speaking, faith is trusting and obeying God. And what should I place my faith in? Jesus, the only one that can save you from your sin and give you a relationship with God. And he is wholly trustworthy. Do you trust him? Let's pray. Father, thank you that it's Sunday. Thank you that we can get together and worship you and, and look at your word together. It's always so much fun. God, ask for your help. Help me with my faith. Help my faith to grow. And not just me, Lord, but everyone here. Help us to take the next step in obedience to you, whatever that looks like, looks like in each of our lives. Whether that means someone here needs to begin a relationship with you or trust you with the next step. I ask that you would help them to do that. Help me to do that, Lord. I love you. And